We are going to return to the Gospel of John uh, this morning as we look at the fifth I am statement of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And as I said before, we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes uh, together this morning. So I want you to go ahead and begin to think about that and begin to prepare your heart and your mind uh, for sharing in that very, very special time together as a church. Um, Today we're going to look at a conversation that happened in the midst of one of Jesus' greatest miracles in all the Gospels. This is the context for this fifth I am statement, and it's the raising of Lazarus from the dead is what happens in John chapter 11. And um, that's a story that a lot of us are, are fairly familiar with. I would love to, and I'm sure I will eventually go, come back to this text, and we will preach on the whole story because there are so many details and so many events and things that happen in this story that are so powerful and so impactful that I, I wouldn't want you to miss it. But for our purpose today in looking at this one statement of, of divinity that Jesus makes in the context of this miracle, we're going to focus only on verses 17 through 27 this morning in John chapter 11. But I do want to give you a little context for the whole story uh, that, that begins at the beginning of John chapter 11. Uh, John introduces his readers to Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, for the first time. This is the first time they are mentioned in the Gospel of John, but we know from the other Gospel writers that these three were very close to Jesus. They had a, a friendship, a relationship with Jesus that was more, that was greater and deeper and more personal than most of the people who followed Jesus in the crowds and, and came to hear him teach. They had a relationship with him. And in the beginning of chapter 11, John tells us that Lazarus becomes deathly sick. And because they had this relationship with Jesus, Mary and Martha send word to let Jesus know that Lazarus is sick. And so, and, and, they, and they call for Jesus to come, to be with them and to be with Lazarus, obviously because they know who Jesus is and they know the power that Jesus has. And I'm sure when they initially sent the messenger to go tell Jesus that Lazarus was sick, they had hopes that Jesus could come back and heal Lazarus. But what seems strange is when the messenger gets to Jesus and Jesus gets word about Lazarus, John says that Jesus waits for two days before he does anything, before he leaves where he is. Now, as a pastor, I'll, I'll often get a phone call or a text message from somebody that says, hey, somebody's been taken to the hospital. Or, and, and, and in those moments, usually, and, and especially if it's a serious thing, I, I, will, I will drop what I'm doing and go be with those people. And there's almost this expectation that there's an immediate response when somebody calls on you for ministry, when there's, when there's a death or when there's a sickness. And so it seems kind of strange that when Jesus gets word, he just waits. He waits for two days before he does anything. And then after two days, he tells his disciples, okay, now it's time to go. So let's go to Bethany. And the disciples, he has a dialogue in, in chapter 11 with them where they are concerned because He's going back toward Jerusalem and in, in that region, and that's where he had experienced a lot of opposition 
He experienced a lot of hostility. And earlier they had been in that part of the, that part of the region and people were actually out to kill Jesus. And so the disciples kind of pumped the brakes a little bit and go, hey, Jesus, are you sure you want to go back there? Because they've tried to kill you. And I'm sure what they were thinking was, uh, we don't really want to go back there because if they're trying to kill you and we're with you, they're probably going to try to kill us too. Like, can we think about this for a second? What, do, do you really want to go back there? And Jesus tells them that his friend Lazarus has died. He says, he's dead, and I'm going to wake him up. I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to, to raise him up. And so the disciples go, and, and Jesus also says something funny earlier in, in that dialogue with them. He says, my friend Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. That sounds a little strange at first reading, doesn't it? Jesus says, you know what, Lazarus was sick, and because he was sick, he was died, but I'm really glad I wasn't there to help him. And that's, that seems strange. But he says, it's for your sake that I'm glad I wasn't there. Because what we're going to encounter, what you're going to see as we go now, now it's time for us to go, and what you're going to see when we get there, I'm so glad, because if I had been there, there wouldn't be an opportunity for you to see what you're about to see. So he's, he, he's explaining to them. He's trying to help them understand. So they leave and they arrive in Bethany, which is where Martha and Mary and Lazarus lived. Uh, Martha is the first one to come see or meet Jesus. So as he comes into town, when she gets word, she goes out to meet him. And that makes sense because in Luke's gospel, you remember the story when Jesus comes to Mary and Martha's house. And there's these two pictures of two very different sisters. One is Martha is the, is the busy one. She's the servant. She's the, the host, the homemaker, the housekeeper. She's wanting to set the table and, and make sure all the food is right and all the decoration. Everything is set exactly the way it's supposed to be. She's trying to take care of everybody. Mary is the contemplative one. She is the, she's the one that just wants to sit at Jesus' feet and just listen to him and just spend time with him. And so we see these two different things. Well, Martha's the oldest, and so, knowing her character, it makes sense that as soon as she hears Jesus is coming, she's the one that says, well, I'm going to go get Jesus. She's sort of the take charge uh, person for the family. And so, this is where it picks up in verse 17 in John chapter 11. And Jesus is going to reveal to Martha another aspect of his identity as the great I am. Verse 17, John says, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. Now, I want to stop right there and give you a little historical context as well. It says that when Jesus got there, he found out Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. So there are some customs that we need to understand that, that were a part of Jewish culture then to kind of put this timeline together and figure things out. And it's important for understanding exactly why Jesus is doing this the way he's doing it. The first custom is that because the Jews didn't practice embalming and because of the hot, humid climate, a person who died would be buried on the very same day that they died. And that's, that's not like what we experience because we have 
uh, embalming methods and, and different things, way of preserving someone's body over several days until they can be buried. Uh, they didn't have those means in the first century. And so the, the custom was whatever day you died was the day that you were buried. And so it was, it was a very fast process. So it says that when Jesus got there, he found out that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days already. So if we do the math, this is kind of how the timeline could have worked out. Lazarus was sick. Mary and Martha send a messenger to tell Jesus that he's sick and they want Jesus to come. That's day one. It would have taken a day's journey for that messenger to get where they were to where Jesus was. So that's one day to get there. Then Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick and it says he waits two days. So that's day number two and day number three. And you notice he also, when he explains it to the disciples on day four, when he says, okay, it's time for us to go, he says to the disciples, Lazarus is already dead. In his omniscience, Jesus knew. Even though he'd gotten the message that he was sick, he knew by then, he says, Lazarus has died. And so that fourth day was the day that it would have taken them to travel from where they were to where Lazarus was. So that's the fourth day. And so since Lazarus would have been buried, it's likely that Lazarus had died and maybe had already been put in the ground by the time the messenger even got to Jesus on the first day. So it's impossible for Jesus to have gotten there ahead of Lazarus' death. But that's sort of how the timeline went. Another custom is that there was a, the mourning period uh, was a long mourning period. There was a 30-day mourning period. But in the midst of that, that first seven days, the first week after someone had died, it was customary for friends, neighbors, relatives, people uh, from outside the family to come and spend time with and actually stay with the family over those first seven days. And so there would have been a large crowd that had gathered, and that's what John tells us in verse 19. Many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them about their brother. This was the custom. And they would have come and gathered together, and they would have stayed with them for about seven days before the crowd started to disperse. There was another belief that the Jews had during this time that may sound a little strange to us, but it's that... Once a person died, their spirit hovered near the body for three days. And then after three days is when the, the decay process would begin. And after the third day, on the fourth day, the spirit would permanently depart. It was almost as if they believed that the spirit kind of hovered over the body for that first three days almost like in case there was a chance that something might happen that they would be revived somehow. And it's a, strange, it's a strange idea that would be difficult for us to understand. But when decomposition started on that after three days, it, it was as if, okay, that's it. That was like the final, those, after those three days was when they believed the spirit permanently departed and, and there, was no, there was no chance of any kind of reversing or, or coming back to life or, or re, you know, reviving the person at all. So with all of these customs in mind, it's very much intentional 
the way that Jesus chooses to come to Lazarus because he waits long enough for all of the hope, the natural hope of life to be gone. He knew this custom of the, the spirit hovering for three days. You notice that Jesus gets there after he's been in the grave four days. That means that there's no way, there would be no way to ever explain how Jesus was able to revive him other than Jesus' divine power over death. So there's that. And also, Jesus came soon enough so that when he got there, there would be a huge crowd of people still there. Because that group of, of Jews who had come to comfort them would have hung around for seven days. So that fourth day was long enough for the, for the body to, to, for, for them to consider Lazarus completely dead, his body already beginning to decompose. But it was soon enough that that big crowd would have still been there. And that's exactly what we see when we, when we read the story after Jesus goes and, and comes to where Lazarus is buried. So look at verse 20 in chapter 11. Again, I told you we're going to focus on this conversation between Martha and Jesus. Verse 20, as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Martha greets Jesus and the first thing she says is, Jesus, if you had been here, Lazarus wouldn't be dead. And we read that and I think we put our own emotions into that and think she's blaming Jesus. And it kind of sounds like she's blaming Jesus, almost saying, Jesus, it's your fault, Lazarus is dead. We, we sent for you days ago. But... We know that's not the case. And because of that timeline that I explained to you, Martha would have been talking to Jesus with the full knowledge that there's no possible way he would have ever been able to get, even if he had left immediately when he got word about Lazarus, there's no way he could have gotten back before Lazarus died. Because we said he died and would have been put in the grave on that first day, maybe even before or right as Jesus was getting the news about his sickness. So I think we should know that about Martha. She's not blaming Jesus. She's not mad at Jesus. Uh, she's not upset. But she did have the knowledge and the faith to know. She wasn't blaming Jesus, but she was being so transparent with him and said, even though we're going through this, Lord, I just think about how different it would have been if you had been here. It would have been so different. Um, she was expressing her faith in Jesus' ability. She's saying very boldly, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened because I know you. I know who you are. I know the power that you have. And I know that you loved Lazarus. And if you had been here, I know you would have been able to heal him and that he wouldn't even be dead now. But then she, she says something else. She says, yet even now I know that whatever you ask God, ask from God, God will give you. 
It's like she's saying, Jesus, even though you're too late and you can't do anything now, I I do believe that you have power from God to make something good of it. Like Martha actually has a what we would consider to be a, a pretty noble attitude with Jesus at this point. She's confessing her faith in his ability. And then she's saying, even beyond that, even though you can't heal Lazarus anymore because he's dead, I also know that because of the relationship you have with the Father, something good, you can still make something good come out of this, Jesus. And, that, and isn't that the kind of attitude that, that we would want to have? It's, it's grief mixed with faith. And I think that's probably at best what we would strive for in, in any kind of situation where we lose a loved one like Mary and Martha. But in that, in that saying, Lord, if you had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died, I sort of hear Martha saying, Lord, if, if you had just been here and been able to raise him, things, things would be so much better. And don't we tend to approach God that way with tragedy in our life and loss in our life? And we question him and we say, Jesus, I know that you have the power. You have the power to stop this. You had the power to, to, to fix it. You had the power to heal. You had the power to save. But you didn't. But man, imagine if you had. It would have been better if you had come through. It would have been better if you had been able to do this or, or chosen to do this. It would, just, it would just have been better. And I feel like that's kind of what Martha is saying to Jesus. But I think we have to step back and think about what we're saying when we, when we make a statement like that to God. When we say, Lord, it would have been so much better if you had done this, we're, we're assuming that we know what God thinks is better. We, we can only see what we can see. And I think when Martha was saying, oh, Jesus, if you'd just been here, oh, it would, been, it would be so much better now if you had gotten here. What's so ironic is in her misunderstanding, even though her heart, I believe, is in the right place, she didn't understand that the fact that Jesus wasn't there was going to lead to something that was so much better than her better that she thought would have happened if Jesus had been there. Jesus has a better that was better than Martha's better. Does that make sense? So we shouldn't assume that we know what's better to God. And I think also when, when Martha says this to Jesus or we say that kind of thing to God, we're mistakenly saying that God has missed an opportunity. Now you and I miss opportunities all the time, right? We have windows, doors that we feel like open in our lives and it's like, okay, I gotta take advantage of this. I have to, I have to do this now because if I don't, it might be too late or uh, this opportunity may pass and I may never get it again. 
And we do operate that way. But God does not. If we say that God is possible for God to miss an opportunity, then we're taking his omnipotence away from him. We're taking his omniscience away from him. If we say to God, God, you could have done this. You had this chance to do this, but now it's too late. Is anything ever too late for God? Can God ever miss an opportunity to do anything? I don't think so. Because he, he is all-powerful. And, and Martha doesn't understand that aspect of Jesus' identity at this point, And that's why he's about to explain it to her. Because she has this idea that, oh, Jesus, you almost got here in time, but now it's too late. And it would have been better if you had been here and done it. And, and this has happened. But now this is just what we have to deal with. And it is what it is. And, and Jesus is saying and wanting to say to her, look, your better is not near as good as my better. And I never miss an opportunity. It's impossible for me to miss an opportunity because of who I am. So look at verse 23. This is, her, this is her reply to Jesus, oh, it's, I, if you had just been here, but I know you can still do something good, Jesus. Verse 23, your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. So see, when Jesus tells Martha that Lazarus will rise again, her mind immediately goes to the future. And she says, yes, I know the promise. I know the faith that we have as a people that in the end, on the last day, that you're going to raise your people. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead in, in the last day. And, and yes, I believe that and I know that. And what she hears Jesus say to her initially is similar to what we would say to one another as Christians when someone that we love passes away. We would say, if they were a believer and we were believers, we would say to them, yes, we're sad and we're sorrowful, but, but our separation is only going to be temporary because we're going to be together again. And we believe, as, as, as Christians, as Paul taught in Thessalonians, that there will be a physical resurrection of the dead. Those that are in Christ that have died will, will come up out of the grave again. And that's our hope that we have as believers. I, um, I was part of Miss Rachel White's uh, funeral service this weekend. And I was thinking about this and thinking about this message. And as, as we were at Miss Rachel's graveside, I shared with the family, as I do often at a graveside, when I, any, every single time I'm, I'm at a graveside service now, I stand there and to myself, I look around that cemetery and I wonder, what if, what if the return of Jesus was in the next 15 minutes? And what Paul says is going to happen in the Thessalonians 
He says that those who have died won't, that we who are still alive and remain when Jesus comes certainly won't precede those who have fallen asleep. You know what that means? That the ones that are in the grave are going first. So if Jesus comes back in that moment when me or family or anybody or you, we happen to be at a, at a graveside service for a loved one and Jesus comes back, you know what we're going to see? We're going to get to watch the resurrection of the dead. We're gonna, you, you will see bodies come up out of those graves and your loved one, this is weird to think about, the one, can you imagine standing there and I, like I'm reading the scriptures over this person and, and that casket just opens up. Like, hallelujah is right. Like, how incredible would that be? Because that is a promise that that's going to happen. And that's our hope that we have. And so what Martha hears Jesus say is, Martha, don't be sad because eventually Lazarus is going to come out of the grave. Because there's a promise that one day that will happen. And we share that kind of promise with each other. And so that's how she answers him. She says, yes, Lord, I do believe. I believe that there's a day coming that there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. But then Jesus says, no, no, no. You don't understand, Martha. I'm not talking about the promise of the future resurrection. I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. And so here's the big point about what Jesus is saying to us. Jesus is the fulfillment of our hope for new life. I think all of us as people at, at different points in our life, we hope for something new. We hope for new life, right? And sometimes we hope for new life by chasing after things to try to create new life for ourselves. Sometimes we think a new job will give us new life or a new house will give us new life, a new community. We're going to move somewhere else and buy a new house and we're going to start over, right? We say that. Or a new car will be new life for me or a new, um, I'm going to transition from this job to this job. I'm going to get a new job and that's going to be the start of a new life. Or I'm going to begin a new relationship with somebody. That's going to be the start of a new life. And I think we look to earthly things to give us new life. And every one of those things will eventually fall short. The job will go away. The house will fall apart. The car will break down. The relationship eventually will go away. If not, if not by the relationship just breaking apart. Eventually, when that person dies, even, even that relationship is, is temporary. And so whatever new life we try to get from other people or other things, those are going to fade. But Jesus says to Mary, the resurrection that you're hoping for, the resurrection that you're looking down the road for, is me. Like, I'm here right now. Um, I am the God of the resurrection, the God who is going to raise up all of his people in the last day. That's me. I'm here and I'm right here in front of you. And I can not only bring resurrection on the last day, I can bring resurrection right now. Because that's who I am. 
Mary saw the resurrection as an event, but the resurrection isn't an event. The resurrection was a person. And Jesus says, I am that person. And he had come to Bethany that day, not only to raise Lazarus physically from the grave, that wasn't the whole point of what he came to do. That was going to be a sign for the people so that they could see and recognize who he was so that if they put their faith in him, he would conduct another resurrection, not in their physical bodies, but in their hearts. Because what does scripture say about our spirit and our heart before we come to Christ? We are dead in our sins and trespasses. Jesus came to Bethany not just to raise Lazarus' body from the grave, but he came to resurrect the hearts of the people who would watch him do it. And so there are two things that he says after he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And it sounds like he's repeating himself in these verses, but he's really not. He's saying two distinct different things. The first thing he says and in verse, in verse 25 is this. He says, the one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. That statement is about the physical nature of resurrection. Jesus is saying, I have power over physical death. The one who believes in me, the one who's put their trust and is in a relationship with me, the one who is, believes in me, even if he dies, because you remember Paul says, Jesus is gonna come back and some of us are gonna be alive. And we're gonna watch it, we're gonna see it. So Jesus says, even if a believer dies, he will live. He's talking about the physical resurrection in that first statement. That you and I, even though if we believe in Jesus, even if our bodies die, eventually on that coming day, there's going to be a physical resurrection of the dead and your bodies are coming up out of the grave with a new glorified body like Jesus. It's going to be awesome. So that's what he's saying. He's talking about the physical in that first statement. And then he says, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. That sounds like he's saying the same thing. But no, the first statement was about the physical resurrection. This one is about spiritual life. This one's about spiritual resurrection. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. He says that means at the very point of conversion, when you put your faith and your hope and your trust in me, a life begins in you and it will never, ever, ever die. So when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the, I am the God over the physical resurrection of the physical body, I'm the God of the resurrection of your hearts and I am the eternal life that lives in you forever and ever and ever, it all comes from me. So both of these statements are true regarding Jesus' authority over death. He says, as the, as the resurrection and the life, I am the life that will reverse all physical death for believers, and I'm the life that is your spiritual heartbeat right now. Just like you have a physical heart that's in your body that's beating, and when that heart stops beating, your body dies. But there's a spiritual life, if you're in Christ, that Jesus says, I am the heart, I am the life. And that's eternal. And there's nothing that's going to stop 
the heart of Jesus from beating in your spiritual life. Because once Jesus brings you to life, he is your life. And because Jesus is not going to die, you're not either. So in raising Lazarus from the dead, right then, he was physically showing them a physical picture of what he had come to do in their hearts. You see me raise this dead man up out of the grave. I've come to raise up the dead person that's in you. That was what the kingdom was about. And so the difference in the ones who who know and experience Jesus as the resurrection and the life and the ones who don't is the answer to the questions that Jesus asks Martha at the end of verse 26. He says, do you believe this? And again, he was not asking Martha if she understood the, the teachings or if she understood what the hope was and what the future was. He says, do you believe that the God of the resurrection of the future that you're hoping for is me and that I'm standing here right now in your presence and do you believe not only can I bring Lazarus to life if I want to, I can bring you to life on the inside as well. But if you go down in chapter 11 to verse 45 and 46, look what it says. It says, therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did, what? Believed in him. So they answered that question with a yes, and they believed. But then verse 46, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. They didn't believe. They couldn't help but believe that Lazarus was alive because there was no denying that. Everybody was there and saw it. He's up walking around. They couldn't deny Lazarus, but they could deny Jesus. And they did. And so the question I want you to consider this morning is which one of those are you? Has there been a belief in the person of Jesus as the resurrection and the life that has brought about resurrection and life in you? That's new. That's eternal. If anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. All of the old has passed away and everything becomes new. Have you experienced that in your life? And you know that the life that's in you is not a thing, but it's a person. And if you've never experienced that, because if, you're, if your heart and your spirit has been raised to life in Jesus, you, again, you know it. And if you're not sure or you don't know, or maybe you do know and say, no, that's never happened to me. Jesus is that same thing for you today. He stands and he says, it, the resurrection is, it doesn't have to be something that you just wait and hope for. The resurrection is something that I want to do in you this very moment, if you will just believe. If you will just put your faith and your trust in me, laying all other things aside. And let me bring you to life. So that's what, that's, that's the gospel. That's what we will celebrate. That's why we can celebrate the Lord's Supper. Because it was the physical death of Jesus that was necessary to bring about the spiritual life that he came to bring and to give us. And so as his church, we celebrate that.